down, freezing. It felt much colder. Bone chilling, as my grandfather used to say. There was a blizzard coming, and the weather casters predicted a doozy. The greater Manchester area was expecting up to two feet of snow in the next 24 hours. I plotted down Maple Street and cut across the deserted town square. Almost all of the shops had closed, and even the most last minute of Christmas shoppers had long since scurried home to wrap their treasures. I paused to get my bearings. The square was eerily empty, dark and desolate, a Christmas Eve ghost town. I noticed a flash of movement on the other side of the center green and shifted right for a better view. A shadowy shape huddled in the dark alcove of Walker's sporting goods. I wondered at first if someone was trying to break in. Then I could see that the shadow was just sitting there, curled up in a ball against the frigid air. A transient, I guessed. Occasionally a rootless wanderer would pass through Manchester, en route to or from the Canadian border. I hesitated, not sure if I should approach. It could be an escaped criminal waiting for some hapless mailman to shank. The attacker would rifle through my bag, tearing apart Christmas cards looking for money while I bled out in the cold. I smiled at my dark musing, and then a more reasoned thought entered my mind. What if this stranger was injured and needed help? Curiosity went out. I walked over. Hello? I strained to see into the entryway's dark niche. The stranger looked up at me. As my eyes adjusted, I could see it was a woman. She hugged her knees tightly to her chest and had no coat or hat, no gloves. Her shoes were so ragged and worn she might as well have been barefoot. Her face was weathered and dull, her hands and fingers caked with several layers of dirt. The eyes, though, didn't fit this picture of gloom. They were crystal clear, sky blue, staring out from a grimy face that looked like it hadn't seen a washcloth in weeks. A small tuft of chestnut-colored hair peeked out from beneath an old, worn-out beanie. She spoke in a quivering smoker's voice. Merry Christmas. I fished in my coat pocket for spare change and came out with a handful of lint. I pulled my wallet from my pants. It was empty save for a wrinkled liquor store receipt. Like so many of the debit generation, I no longer carried cash. Sorry, I said. I don't have any money. She waved me off as if this fact didn't trouble her in the least. Do you have some place you can go? If her answer was no, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I'm right where I need to be, she said. I thought it was a curious thing to say, and I had no idea what she meant by it. I felt awkward and useless. It was a snowy Christmas Eve. This poor woman was obviously in need, and I hadn't a thing to offer. You go on now, she said. You've got deliveries. Folks need their mail, especially on Christmas. And of course she was right. There was still a dozen or so houses left on my route. Houses, no doubt, wondering what was keeping their last-minute cards and packages. But it didn't seem right to walk away. I looked across the square at Charlie's Diner, its shades drawn, the closed sign hanging in the door window. I couldn't even buy her a hot meal. I knew I needed to move on and finish my rounds, but my feet wouldn't cooperate. I felt compelled to do something, anything for her. But I had nothing to offer. God loves you, I said, and immediately felt foolish. What a trite and meaningless cliche, I thought. I'd long stopped believing in God, and I didn't go to church or pray. I felt like a phony uttering such a hopeful and empty sentiment. I waited for the pitiable woman to spit my words back in my face, tell me just how far that love had gotten her. Instead, her chapped lips creased into a faint smile. I know, 
she said. But, my dear Paul, tonight, you need him more than I do. I was taken aback, the way she spoke my name, as if she knew me. But I was sure I'd never seen her before in my life. I would have remembered such a face, such penetrating eyes. Here, I said. I peeled off my long woolen hand-me-down overcoat. Take this. A part of me resisted the urge to give away the only thing between me and the bitter cold. It was my favorite coat, one handed down from my father, who'd gotten it from his father. I knew it seemed foolish, but the part of me that needed to help this woman drowned out the voice of reason. I gently draped my old coat around her trembling shoulders. She pulled the cover snugly about her and smiled. And she raised a frail hand and gestured for me to move in closer, as if she had some confidence to share. When she spoke, her voice was clear and calm.